Good morning, everybody. We're really glad you're here uh, to worship with us. Uh, this is called uh, Palm Sunday, and uh, we are going to focus today on uh, how to prepare the, the best uh, for Easter. Uh, in many churches across the world, people are celebrating what this week is called, uh, it's Holy Week. And holiness is a word that means to be uh, set apart. And uh, as you've chosen to come this morning and spend about an hour with us, uh, we want to focus on how do we kind of set our, our minds apart, our lives apart to make the most of this season that we have. And as we talk about our lives and the scriptures and God, and they all intersect into one, uh, sometimes it's easy to focus on all the things that are right before us, the things that are weighing us down, the things that uh, are causing stress for us. You may have decisions that you're needing to make very soon about your life, about relationships, uh, and those are causing maybe just stress within you. Uh, you may be just burdened by all sorts of things. Uh, some of them I may know, some of them I may not, and other people in your life may not know anything that's going on with you. And sometimes when you come to church, you think you walk through these doors and you're kind of supposed to check your mind and maybe your life at the door, and then you pick it back up when you leave. Uh, but it's actually the opposite. Christ actually meets us uh, right where we are with exactly uh, with what we face. And our goal today is to dig into the scriptures and ask the question is, how does knowing Jesus and the reality of what he did for us over 2,000 years ago, how, how does that actually impact the way that we view our lives, the decisions that we have, the things that, that do weigh on us and, and feel very heavy? And so if you will, uh, today for Christians is a lot like what New Year's Day is for the rest of the world. Now, any of you guys remember like New Year's, that was January 1st? Remember that? Any of you remember the resolutions that you made? Like, no, it's April. Like, we gave those up January 15th, right? But New Year's is always this time of great hope. It's like a new year. You're going to start eating right. You're going to work out regularly. I remember I set a goal to, I have a, you know, an Apple Watch to do 30-minute activities to close that green ring. Any of you guys know what I'm talking about? That Close that green ring. And I was doing so good for January, I closed it the whole month. And then I went to bed early one night, and I like missed the minute by like one, and it was like I failed. And I was like, it's over. I'm never going to be healthy again, you know, and, and you go into all those, all those things. But much like New Year's resolutions, they, they tend to fade. We tend to forget about them. For Christians, it, it can be true as well, not necessarily goals that we have, but sometimes the reality of life in Christ, we can forget. The reality of him coming and him living a perfect life and him dying and him being buried and being risen again. Oftentimes, as we celebrate Easter, it's that time to really focus and remember, but it's much more than that. And this week is really to prepare us, if you will, for how does this impact us for the rest of the year? How does this impact the way that we view those burdens that you have, the things that you're facing? If Christ does not impact all of life, then it's not real, and he's not real. But he impacts everything, and we should really consider him before we make those decisions. Keep him in the forefront of our mind with the things that, that we're facing. As we're deciding how to treat a person in a situation, his ways should be you know, motivating us. His kingdom should, should lead us forward. I say this, though, as more than just words because it's easy to say that, and we would all, all agree that's true. But in life, it's very hard to remember because things that are at us, things that get our attention just are inundating us day by day by day. And what gets our attention gets our direction. And so today I wanna to focus on how during this Holy Week that we can be set apart. 
How can we focus on who is important and what is important? And how can that impact us, not just for this next week, but for the rest of this year, you know, and, and beyond? And so what I wanna do is talk about really Jesus' his last few days on this earth. And that's really the context of this Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter, where he uh, was gathered and crowds were gathered with him. His following had increased and increased. People had seen miracles and listened to his the teaching and recognized he had authority that they had not seen before. He taught in a way that they had not witnessed. He had power that they'd never seen. And, and his, his notoriety was just spreading throughout the land. Uh, in his day, there wasn't social media. You couldn't really go viral. But what was happening was even something more powerful. It was eyewitness accounts, people sharing what they saw. And you won't believe this because I've seen it with my own eyes. And then people say, well, that, that can't be true. How does that happen? And then they came to see for themselves. And then they saw Jesus in the flesh and saw what he did and saw how they spoke and the miracles that he performed. And they saw it with their own eyes. And so eyewitnesses became eyewitnesses who became eyewitnesses. And it was the spread of Jesus' ministry. And the Sunday before Easter, the context is the Passover feast. And so all people are gathered uh, for this time of, of celebration of God's faithfulness to Israel throughout the centuries. But what Christ knew and what everyone didn't is that this was the beginning of the end of his life and also the beginning of the rest of life and all of eternity, the plan that God had had from the beginning of time to redeem us for himself. And so there's things that, that you have in your life. You have a past, I have a past. There's decisions that, that we've made that we regret. There's things that we continue to battle with guilt and with shame and you look towards your life and there's gonna be things that you mess up and you're gonna handle your kids in a wrong way and you're gonna be harsh with them and you're gonna treat your spouse the wrong way and you're gonna to lie to somebody and you're not gonna tell people the truth and these things stack up against us. But without Christ, we have no hope. And the weight of those sins that we have in our past and as we move into the future, we cannot bear that weight. But with Christ, we can experience forgiveness. So as we celebrate this Palm Sunday, we can recognize what Jesus did and how it changed history and it changed our identity and it really changed the future of the entire world. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pick up in the gospel of John. Uh, John is probably my favorite gospel uh, just from many standpoints, but I like how real and personal it is. And so if you've never read the book of John and you're new to reading the Bible, John is a great book to start with. Now, if you're new to reading the Bible, you're like, I have no idea what John is. You know what's great about the Bible, just like any book? It has a table of contents. And you look at the table of contents, it'll have Old Testament, a bunch of books that you may not be able to pronounce. And there'll be the New Testament. And John is in the New Testament. And you just look for John, just like it's spelled J-O-H-N. I spelled that right. I was like, I hope I get that right. And then you look at the page number and you open it. If you don't have a Bible, we have some back there. They have a table of contents too. But John is the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, in John, and it's account of Jesus' life. And we're gonna pick up in, in John chapter 12, which is really the beginning of this Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Christ uh, would be killed on the Friday. And John 12 begins in verse 12. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming uh, to Jerusalem. What kind of a crowd was it? It was a large one. Again, his following was growing. Verse 13, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This was a royal welcome for Jesus. The idea in another gospel says that they laid down their cloaks. The idea is like they did not want Jesus' feet to touch the ground. He was his king, the long-awaited king that had been prophesied about. 
So these palm trees represented that, that royalty was in their midst. In verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is a fulfilled prophecy that you find in the Old Testament. This would happen and Jesus came to fulfill it and didn't sit on this royal horse, but sat on a donkey. Showed a humility to this royal king that Jesus would speak to a little bit later. Verse 16, it says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. I love this about the disciples because these are the people that followed him, that had the most access to him, that had seen everything that he had done. And all this is happening in their midst. And they're like, this is really weird. I don't quite know what's happening. If sometimes God is doing things in your life and you don't have any idea what's happening, that's normal. If you look around and you're not quite sure what the answer are, you're not quite sure what he's doing, his very disciples had so many of those moments, things that were confusing, things they didn't understand, things that they were trying to figure out, to make connections, connect the dots. And it says, at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. That sign is talking about Lazarus being raised from the dead. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, I don't know if there's ever a section of any historical event where things have changed so rapidly. If you could picture this on a Sunday, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the Roman authorities knew Jesus' authority. They knew the influence he had, the crowds that were being gathered, and there were all these talks and the Jerusalem leaders began to plot, how do we actually kill Jesus? Then how do we kill Lazarus because of this sign, this person who'd been raised after four days of being dead, raised back to life? How do we kill? Like, how do we squash this movement of this Christ? The people are, think he's the king, this Messiah. We, we have to stop this. And in this moment, as he's coming on this donkey and the people are waving the branches, they look at each other and say, look, it's, it's lost. What we're doing, it's, it's, nothing can stop this Christ. Nothing can be done. But they begin to plot and continue more. But as this is happening and these people are bearing witness, it's this reminder of the attention that they gave Christ is the same attention that we should be giving in our own lives. And so that's the first thing we have to remember this week is who is really important. If you're a Christ follower, who is important in your life? It should always be the risen Christ. The risen Christ should be the person that you filter your decisions, the way that you treat people, the way you decide to spend your time and your energy. The risen Christ should be the filter from which your life flows. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You surrender to him. He calls the shots in your life. You wanna do life his way. And notice, if you look at this scripture, I've highlighted a few things that I think for, for emphasis of this attention that they gave. The crowd that had been with him, wherever Jesus went, they went. They wanted to go where he went. They wanted to see what he would do next. They wanted to hear what he would say the truth that came from his mouth, they wanted to soak in for themselves. And then it says that they continued to bear witness. So not only were they seeing for themselves, but they were having an experience with being around Jesus. They kept sharing with each other and people kept sharing with each other. And again, eyewitnesses became eyewitnesses who became eyewitnesses. For you to testify and bear witness about something, you have to see something significant. And they saw this Christ 
who they had waited for. And he was real, and he was in their midst. They continue to bear witness. And then that last phrase, the world has gone after him. This continue to bear witness in this, this world following would not be like the people would have thought. And in such a short amount of time, from the Sunday of this Palm Sunday that we celebrate to the Friday where Jesus was crucified, could you predict or imagine such a change in events where people are literally putting palm trees on the ground, cloaks so Jesus' feet or even the donkey which he rode in would not touch the ground to then being raised on a cross and killed from Sunday to Friday? Could you imagine such a turn of events? So when the disciples are not quite sure what's going on, you can imagine it just continued, this confusion because of such a shift. But at this moment, he had the people's attention. But I wanna encourage you, and this is the mission of the church today, is that we will be like these people before the people scattered. Because what happened days later is everybody left Jesus. These crowds began to just back up. These people began to just remove themselves. People that identified with following him no longer want to do that, even his closest followers. But my prayer is for us, for Ridgeview Church and the church in America and the church in the world, that we will rise up and say, we will be like the people who will continue to bear witness no matter what happens. We will not scatter. We will not fail. We will not walk away from the risen Lord. On this side, they were just there for the pageantry. They were there for the celebration. They were there for Jesus to take the Israelites to their place of world power. But that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to transform the world with the power that's not found in this world. It's the power of the living God being sent in the flesh, dying for us. And the power that would rise him from the grave, the power of God. So I wanna encourage you to be these kinds of people that we are with Jesus, we bear witness, and we've gone after him. And so this week, there's a few ways you can do that. So how do we keep our attention on who is important? Well, part of to keep your attention on who is important, you have to think of the things that distract you. So just by a raise of hands, do you get distracted in your life ever? Some of you are distracted right now. You didn't even hear I said that. And in a moment, your hand is still gonna be raised. You're like, why is my hand still up? And I'll be like, because you're distracted. You can put your hand down, right? It's so easy for us to be distracted in this life. All the things that you have coming on. Any of you wake up today and you've gone to church, and even as you've been here, you've, just, you've had like the most clarity on all that you have to get done as you leave here? It's okay. That's why we give extra you know, room on your program. You can write all those little to-dos that you have to do Sometimes in church, it's like the greatest clarity of your to-do list. And what do I need to get ready for work? And I got to pack the lunches. And did we thaw the chicken? You know, all the stuff that's going on in your life. And so we're so easily distracted. All the things that we have and the concerns. And then we're distracted even by our phones and content and information and news. Is there news going on in our world, in our country right now? Breaking news? All over the place, there's breaking news. And you know, headlines are never neutral. Headlines are determined to get your attention, and not only that, but hold it. Breaking news, the world will end. Click here to find out how that will happen. 
Breaking news, this is the worst it's ever been. Breaking news, breaking, and you just inundated with so many things, pieces of information. So here's a few things you can do to remove yourself from some of the distractions. And some of you, you, you may have done this before. This is your reminder. This week, of all the weeks, is a time for us to set apart, to focus. So maybe any of you eat. Does anybody eat here? You guys are just such a great participatory, you know, participatory crowd. We all eat. So one thing you can do that would get your attention this week is consider fasting a meal. Now, some of you are like, I, I've been to church, and that's the hardest thing I've ever heard, right? Like, the reason that that's difficult is because, for the most part, we, we like food and we like our routine. But some of the time what happens is we just go through our routines and we don't think. It's like we have our schedule, and we eat when we're supposed to eat, and then we go to bed, and we wake up, we go to work, we eat when we're supposed to eat, we go to bed, on and on. But when you fast a meal, you stop a normal routine that you do, and most of the time you like doing. And now you have time to think about, why am I not eating right now? Because Pastor Alex wants to ruin my life, that's why, right? No, it's because if you fast from a meal, you can take the time that you would have to even prep and then to even eat and take some time to pray and to reflect on God's word. Simple prayer of like, God, as I'm fasting from this meal, will you help me remember that while food is very important, you came and the scriptures call you the bread of life. And you're far more superior than any meal. And this sacrifice is nothing compared to the sacrifice that you made on my behalf. And then you begin to pray about the concerns that you have in your life. And you begin to pray for your family and friends and your kids and your neighbors because you have time. So consider fasting for a meal. If you've never done that, it's actually very powerful. Part of why it's powerful is because it's so hard and increases our dependency. And God, like, I'm really hungry, and all I keep thinking about is how hungry I am. And I can't wait for this fast to be over, so I have to keep thinking about this. But then you have to kind of realize and train your thoughts, like, okay, I gotta stop thinking about this, and how do I redirect them to the things of God? Put Christ as my focal point. Now, if you fasted for a meal, one thing that you could do this week is fast for a day on Friday, which we call Good Friday, which is when Christ himself was crucified and put into the, to the, to the tomb. Fast for that day to remember his sacrifice. And fasting, as commanded in Scripture, is not something that you want to necessarily tell people for your own benefit, but it's between you and the Lord. Focus on how can you get your attention? How can you pray, ask him for help? Another thing that you can do to focus on who is important is just relive Jesus' last days on this earth and what happened after he died on the cross. And if you never read that for yourself, you could read from John chapter 13 through John chapter 20. That's in the Gospel of John. Again, if you don't have a Bible, please grab one after church. You can also download the Bible app, apps on Android phones, iPhones, the Bible app by version, and they've got Bible plans and they've got scriptures in different versions we read mostly out of the ESV, that's the English Standard Version, that's a pretty good version for you to read out of. But just read the scripture for yourself and just decide, okay, I'm gonna read a chapter over these next few days and, and ask the question, like, how does that make a difference in my life, what Jesus did? And what did he say? And what does that show me about he, who he is and who I am? And just begin to ask questions and chew on Christ's last days and, and picture yourself there, what you would do, what you would say, what that would be like. As you draw your attention to the scripture, it, 
it actually puts into perspective the things that you face in your life. Isn't that so true? The more we focus on things, the more we magnify them and the bigger they get. It's the same with the truth. If you read the truth and you get into it yourself, it becomes bigger and it's more relevant. It's what you begin to see and that truth impacts everything else. So I encourage you to do that. Fast a meal, fast a day. Read the last few days of Christ's life, John 13 through 20. If you're investigating what it means to follow Jesus and you may be hearing about things about him for the first time, uh, you're welcome here at Ridgeview. Our mission is to invite people to experience the refreshing life in Christ. We believe that the only refreshment that's lasting in this life comes from following Jesus. It doesn't come from our pursuits, our ambitions, accomplishing our dreams, building our bank account, having a retirement. It comes from following Jesus. That's the most important decision you can make. And so we have a book at the next step table called The Case for Easter. This is written by Lee Strobel, who was an investigative journalist, whose one goal was to investigate Christianity to refute it, to show how it was basically a hoax. And as he began to do that, the more he tried to poke holes in Christ and who he was, he became a Christian. That's a theme that exists again and again through the centuries. And so he wrote a book called The Case for Christ, a very helpful book. But this book is specific to Easter, called The Case for Easter. And so if you're investigating what it means to follow Jesus, Jesus can withstand the questions that you have. He has for thousands of years. That's why we still celebrate. Christianity has not been broken. He has not been stopped. It's not that people haven't asked questions. It's that people have asked questions, found answers, found him, found life. That's what we want for you. And so if you're investigating, we have these books. It's for you. Just grab. It's free. I take this. But if you take it, please read it. Um, I think that will be a, a help for you. That's called The Case uh, for Easter. So I want to, uh, one last thing before I forget. If you haven't yet decided, uh, we're celebrating our Lord's Supper. That's a final way to kind of focus on who is important. Uh, we're doing that tonight. Uh, you may have grown up in church. This is called communion. Same, same thing. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a time when we remember Christ's sacrifice and we partake and break bread together, which represents his body that was broken. And we drink juice, which represents his blood that was shed. And we do that so we remember his sacrifice for us, the penalty that he took on from our sin. And so if you're a Christ follower, we're going to celebrate that tonight. It won't be in here. It'll actually be in the gym uh, at the Jesse Turner Center just across the foyer. So we invite you to, to come to that tonight to remember his sacrifice. Now, speaking of his sacrifice, after all of these signs of Lazarus and his teaching and this world that was going after him, Jesus began to explain further what was about to happen to him. Really, his entry into this death. And in John 12, a few verses later, verses 24, he says this. Now, listen to this. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What was beginning to happen is the crowds were following. These eyewitnesses kept just seeing what Jesus was doing. And then it was just shifting into just cultures. And now the spread of who he was was spreading throughout this first century world. And Jesus makes this statement, which is really the prediction of what would happen to him. 
the seed would be buried into the ground. And from that death, what would happen? Much fruit. And we're the witnesses that this is true. God's word is true and it endures forever because Christ is that seed that was put into the ground, which represents his death. But he rose again and came out of the ground. And from that, there's a fruit that you can't even measure on this earth. But Jesus also began to really point towards that this is not just about him. He's here to bring glory to his Father in heaven and to move forward the kingdom of God. Christ was not just about getting this notoriety and fame. In fact, he taught in ways and challenged people that many people just turned because it was a hard saying, they said. Like, I can't do what he said I need to do. And this is one of those that he was speaking to all of these crowds. If you really wanna make it, and you want to make progress, you have to die to yourself. He's proclaiming the way of the kingdom of God. You have to be willing to surrender. Now, there are people that have taken that and have given that cost up literally in their life. His own followers were martyred for following him. He himself died willingly for us. Throughout the centuries, people have died for their faith. People in this day and age in other cultures are dying because they're Christians. This is true, and it's happening. But the fruit of those deaths of the saints is making an impact on this world for people who stand, and Jesus has their attention. Now, for us in America, we're not at a place where we're persecuted or people are really dying for their faith. Although we're seeing that more and more, even violence in Christian schools and different things, we saw that this past week. Tragedies. But we don't know what's to come, but we do know that for most of us, the cost will be our own goals. And the cost will be our own dreams and our own ambition. What Christ is saying is whether it's your life literally or the dreams for your life, are you willing to surrender those up for the purposes of God? Are you willing to put those into the ground and say, God, I follow you. I follow your kingdom. I want your ways over mine and trust that the fruit that will come from that seed that is buried of your life as you surrender to him will be greater than the fruit of your life without him. Christians stand today saying, we believe that. That is the mission that we've been given to. If you're a Christ follower, it's not just about focusing on who is important. And that brings me to the next point. It's focusing on what is important. And I wanna spend just the last moments we have in our sermon today talking about the mission for which Jesus came. Jesus came to not, again, just to proclaim his own name and fame and grow in just becoming a historical figure and a good moral teacher. No, he, he came to actually change the world. He came to save people. He came to be the beacon of light in the darkness. And Jesus represents the savior of the greatest rescue plan that has ever existed. You see, all of us, we need to be rescued because we've sinned and we've messed up. And you've lied and I've lied. And we've deceived people. We've done things that we've regretted. We haven't kept our word. We've done all sorts of things. But Christ has come. Even though we were sinners, he died for us. And he didn't hold that sin against us. And now we can relate to God and know him because of Christ. So although we've all gone our way, we've been forgiven. 
So as we focus on who is important, the mission remains the same. How can we be a part of rescuing people who are still under the guilt and shame of their sin and have no idea that there's a loving God who sent his son to die to lift that guilt and shame from them? I want to focus on another gospel, the gospel of Luke, and just read some parables which speak to the heart of Jesus, who he is and who he was on this earth, his heart for people. And again, in John, we, we saw that the crowds were following him and there was this endearment, like they couldn't just get enough. And as he gathered, he taught in parables. And now parable is a way that he taught to get people to try to ask questions. There was like a greater meaning. And he used analogies and word pictures. And so I just wanna read Luke 15. And as I read this, ask the question, what, what is Jesus trying to say? What is he saying is, is the most important? Let's start with Luke 15, uh, chapter, or, uh, verse one. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Notice who's drawing near to who. Jesus actually did not draw near to the sinners and tax collectors. They drew near to him. Think about that for a moment. The son of God, fully God and fully human, came on this earth and the most despicable, cast out people of society draw near to him. That says something about the God that we serve. No matter who you are, you can find redemption. You can find a fresh start. Then the Pharisees, that represents these religious leaders and the scribes, grumbled. The man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is seeing that this is happening. These people are drawing to me. These are the most important people, these people who are lost and hopeless. And he notices this happening, this tension point of this religious order and Jesus' ministry. In verse three, it says, so he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So in the gospels, Jesus teaches in these parables and then he's gracious. He gives a little bit of the meaning to it. You ever read something you're like, I have no idea. Jesus knows that we sometimes are confused. He's like, let me explain it to you in plain language. And that's what you see in verse seven. Then verse eight, he tells another story. We want you to get this. And he says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, having 10 means that's all she had. She had 10 silver coins, that's it. If she loses one coin, 10%, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now in my house, we don't have like 10 silver coins. It's like, okay, kids, here's your silver coin. We don't have silver coins. If there's a quarter, we're gonna find that. If it's silver, we will look for it. Penny, maybe not, right? But in our house, when we find the remote, there's rejoicing. You guys know what I'm saying? It's like, I feel like there's a weekly basis. Where's the remote? And it's in the depths of the, the couch and then our couch is, is kind of falling apart. And so we stick our hand to find the remote and part of the couch are stabbing us. So we, we, it's a full on threat level, terrible. So we rejoice when the remote is found. If you've ever lost something that was dear to you, 
much more than a remote. You know how relieved you are when you find it. What Jesus is saying is 10% of this woman's whole earnings, what she had to her name, she had lost. That's a big amount. And she found it. And then Jesus describes why that's important in verse 10. In verse 11, he gives another story. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. This is the prodigal son. You may have heard this before. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. This describes the rebellion of all of us. God has given us life. He's given us breath. Tremendous opportunity to know him. What do we do? Give me my life and let me do it myself. That's what Jesus is getting at. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. His plan didn't work. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20, and he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. This is what Christ has done. Even though we have squandered everything because of sin, Christ came so that we can be accepted back as a son of the most high king. Put this robe on him, put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf. I just kind of described that if you're like somebody who likes me, that's like the brisket or that's like a ribeye. Like that's the good stuff. I don't go to the store and I'm like to Ralph's, hey, you got the fattened calf, like I, you know, but the good stuff, the good stuff, not the, the leftovers, the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. There's a party, a party that you could only imagine if you've lost the son and he's back to life. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So if you could imagine this son who had stayed faithful comes and he's like, what's kind of a party and how come I wasn't invited? What's going on? This represents how easy it is to, uh, for us to focus on the wrong thing. In the church, to focus on the wrong things. In our lives, to focus on the wrong things. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. This party, wait, wait, who's this party for? For my brother? His father came out and entreated him. He's talking to him like, listen, this is a celebration. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Verse 32, it was fitting 
to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. From the lost sheep to the lost coin to the lost son, Jesus is describing why he came. And as we, on this Sunday before Easter, it should put into focus what is really important. If you follow Christ, what Jesus is saying here, this is what we have to give our life to. And so what's important in these three stories? Well, one, something of great value gets lost. You ever lost a sheep? It's always the same answer. Like, well, no, no, we're not farmers here, Pastor Alan. You know, like, we don't have sheep. But here's a little video of what a lost sheep looks like. Let's watch it. Some of you are animal people. Like, oh, <laughs> you guys are tearing up over that, right? Like, I used to think when I was younger, like, a lost sheep, like, it's behind a bush. You got to go, like, look behind the bush. Or it's, like, in the other field. Like, look to the yonder field. That's my farmer talk. Yonder, right? Like, but this is the accurate picture. What part did the sheep have in saving itself? None. It could not do it. It had to be rescued. Something of great value was lost to that farmer, to that shepherd. What God is saying through Christ here, and he's teaching, he's saying, listen, all who I have made, every human who exists, is of great value, and they're lost. And then number two, there's an all-out search for what is lost. Because of the value, you search for it. If it didn't have value, you just move on. But God could not move on. Even though we were lost and wanted to take our own ambition and will and try to build our own life without knowing God, we were lost and in our rebellion because we had value. We had to be rescued. If we didn't have value, God would have left us to ourselves. He wouldn't have sent his son. Think about that for a moment, how that should change our identity. If you struggle with the value that you have in your life and who you are, the only way for you to truly understand the value you have, it will not come from a man, a woman. It won't come from the media. It won't come from the culture. It won't come from education. It won't come from money in your account. It will only come from the living God who tells you your value. You have value because God made you, not because of what you've done or haven't done. You have value because God's given it to you and no one can take that away. And then the third is there's a celebration because if something of great value gets lost and you have a search to rescue that thing that is lost when it is found, it's the greatest celebration. So this is the time we, we must remember who's important, Christ, who came, the one promise, the Messiah, who lived a perfect life, who died for our sins, who was buried, and who rose again. It changes everything. And it gives us a mission, what is important. And that mission, you'll see in the last three verses, I wanna share just the summary of Luke 15. This week, we can focus on who and what is really important. Luke 15, seven, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
Here at Ridgeview Church, when we started this church almost five years ago, we started this church for people who did not know Christ, who maybe have never been to church before, who came and have never maybe even read the scriptures, who maybe were investigating, weren't even sure Jesus, who he said he was. These are the people that we want to reach. Why? Because they're lost and they have great value and God wants to rescue them. And he wants the lost to be found. Luke 15, 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When somebody in our church decides to no longer go their own way like the prodigal and come back home to their maker, the almighty God, when that happens, it impacts heaven. Think about that for a moment. Do you want impact in your life? I do. You want your life to count for something? Absolutely. What do you do in your life that impacts the heavens? Think about that. But when people connect to the living God, despite their sin, and despite their shame, and when they discover that they have been forgiven, the angels rejoice. As a church, we get to be a part of a heaven celebration for the things that we get to do on this earth. That's an amazing concept. That doesn't even make sense with reality, but think about what Christ is saying here. The heavens are rejoicing for the things that we do here on this earth. And then Luke 15, 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So this week, this holy week, we set apart Christ who is important. We want to focus on him, but also what is important. And for us as a church, it's to be a part of the greatest rescue plan that's ever existed. So in case you didn't know, we're celebrating Easter next week. You guys know that? You may ask the question, what's, what's such a big deal? You go back to these verses, Luke 15, 32, Luke 15, 10, and Luke 15, 7. That's why it's a big deal. Because what Jesus is saying is, out of the celebrations that you can have, this is the most important. God is glorified as people turn back to him. And so I want to encourage you, be a part of the mission that God has called us to. God's placed people in your life who you can relate to and you can know and you can help and you can listen to and you can invite and your life can intersect with theirs at just the right time for you to make an eternal difference. And you never know how God will do that. It gives meaning to your life. It gives meaning to where you live gives meaning to your work, gives meaning to all the encounters that you have. You never know what God is doing behind the scenes in the hearts of people. So open your eyes and see the mission that God's given. So invite people in your life to Easter. And as people come, and you may come in and like your parking spot, do you have a parking spot here at Ridgeview? Like you always park in the same spot. I actually do. I totally do myself. And there's a couple times people run there. I'm like, hey, don't they know? Like, come on. But you may come, and I hope, if you're a regular tenant, if you're a guest, I hope this isn't true for you. So if you're a guest, just plug your ears. But if you're new, I hope you can park close. If you're a regular tenant, I hope you have to park so far, you're frustrated and you have to remember I said that. Because what we should be rejoicing is not that our parking spot is available, but that there is no spots for us to park. Because in heaven, that's what they're looking at, not our comfort. So next week, if you have to park far, praise God for that. 
Praise God for that. That's what's important. And if you come in your seat, you have your seat here. It's getting real now. It's getting so real. You like to sit at the back or at the end? Do me a favor. Next week, don't sit at the end. Everyone wants to sit at the end. Don't sit at the end. Why? Because everyone wants to sit there. So sit in the middle. And you know what? I dare you to sit in the front. I double dog dare you. Oh, oh, it just got real. But sit in the front. Sit in the front. Sit in the middle. Park far off. Allow people to park close. If the coffee's running low, don't get some. That's the mission. It, oh, sorry, that, that kind of hurt. The coffee part, I, I, that was a little too real, right? But that, that's the mission because the celebration, again, is not on us. The celebration is on how people can experience the living God. We like activities at Ridgeview, but you know, we don't do a movie night just for us. I've seen that movie. I'm not like dying to see it again. Can I say that? It's a great movie. But I don't do the movie night because it's like, this would be great for, for us. We do a movie night because we want people that come to Easter to say like, oh, wow, this church actually has fun together. And you know what? I don't know if I'm ready to come back to church, but I'll go to that event. You know what? We do a, a service project. We, we want to make a difference in our community. It's not just about us. And so there's people that will help this community. And if they can do that with our church, they'll see, you know, this, this church is actually trying to make a difference. This is the kind of church I can get to know. All of these are intentional, not to fill up our calendar, but it's the mission what Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. That's what we have an opportunity to do. So next week, after the service, take five minutes after the service to not talk to somebody that you know. Here at Ridgeview, we call that the five-minute rule. Take five minutes to not talk with somebody that you know and talk with somebody that you don't. Just introduce yourself. That's why we have name tags. That's on purpose too. So everyone else can know each other's names. You know I'm going long when the band comes up and I haven't called them. I know, I'm, I'm wrapping up here. I'm wrapping up. It's gonna be Easter and you're still here, right? I hope you guys change your clothes in the car. Okay, all right, I'm, I'm almost done. But take the five minutes and you never know how that makes a difference. If you're new and you, you've been a Ridgeview, hopefully you've had that experience. We want people to, to realize like you're welcome here. This is a warm place where people are friendly. That should represent Christ is real us. And so I can't wait. It's not just about this week. It's not just about next week, but this is the work that we're here for. I want to see God transform our city and our schools and our families and our community. It's not about us. It's about the mighty work that God wants to do through Christ here and now. Let's join together in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this place where we can gather in your name. And we don't have to check out of our lives, but you meet us right in the middle of what we're facing. God, I pray for those that have received door hangers and personal invitations and those that are struggling and considering just what to do with their life and they're at a crossroads. God, I pray during this week that you move in just a mighty way and you do the work that only you can do. And we ask that you work in the hearts of people. Uh, we can't change people, but you can. And we ask that you do that work. So God, will you soften the hearts of those in our community, our neighbors and our family members? 
even those that we just think that they'll never come to church. God, there's a power that's not of this world that, that's from your hand. And that very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that we can see in our church and the working of your presence and your Holy Spirit. And so God, we ask that by your power that you will move and you'll give us your courage to be a part of this rescue plan that you have for our world. Help us to not shrink back in fear. Help us to not be overwhelmed by the cares of this world and our world and our calendar. But God, help us to keep forward the mission that you've given us. We ask this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen.